Hi, I'm Jonathan from Chicago. Hi, I'm Kristen from San Francisco. I'm Evan from Silver Spring, Maryland. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. It's easy. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Tim and Eric make Tim and Eric Awesome Show great job. It is a very strange and surreal television show, but they found that sometimes it's best to keep one foot in reality. We just shot a, a little promotional thing for our movie, and Eric and I both had these giant zits on our forehead. Like, they were big. And they're in the same <laughs> place. They're in the same place in our forehead. And, you know, we, we're, we, we have our moments of vanity, you know, and we're like, maybe we should just wait till Monday to shoot this thing, you know, let our zits heal a little bit. And then we like, come on, what are we doing? Let's, let's use it. Let's use these zits as part of the, the video. And so we... We talked about them and made this made the whole video about how you know we're the Zit Twins and you can go to ZitTwins.com. <laughs> so yeah, it was good to never forget. That's what that's what's really funny is making yourself look like an idiot. It's bullseye. This week, Tim and Eric go from promoting Shrek Three without the permission of the makers of Shrek Three to making a billion dollar movie of their own. God shares a section from his memoir, as dictated to comedy writer David Jabberbomb, Sneak Peek, Our Lord Above, like Bloody Marys, and cartoonist Roz Chast is scared of pretty much everything, even balloons. All that and more on Bullseye this week. Let's go. Every week, we like to start the show off with recommendations in different areas of pop culture, movies, music, books what have you. And uh, today we're once again going to be joined by Andrew Nas from the hip-hop blog Cocaine Blunts to talk about rap music. Andrew, the first song you brought to us is from Cousin Feek and features Droopy, who is actually the son of uh, Bay Area rapper E-40. I woke up this evening, it was about six. I had a couple texts from a couple chicks. Took my first sip, then I grabbed my hat. <laughs> I don't need a whip, I just turn into a bat. It don't matter where I'm at, I'ma get up in her brain, rubbing my rings and sucking my fangs. She told me I was awesome, met her at the club. I took her to the coffin, then I went for blood. This song is called I'm a Vampire, and um, I am frankly touched that Droopy even sees fit not just to rap about vampire themes, which Cousin Feek does, uh, but also to rap about vampire themes in a vampire voice. Yeah, you really got to give it up for any rap song that the artist affects a vampire voice with. Uh, you just can't not like that. Or I guess any undead voice would be passable. <laughs> Anything ghoulish. Yeah. There's not enough of that. While you were sleeping, me and my dick eating, getting money all night to the sunlight. While you were snoozing, your dick is out choosing. Check the scoreboard, mine working, we ain't losing. The king of the castle, call me Count Droopy, all black Gucci. I don't fuck with Coogee, never been fruity, I got a lot of groupies. Sue me, I am a vampire, sick with it, empire, up all night. I'm on my cuff and grind, trying to get what's mine. You think I ain't gonna get it? Then you watch your cuff line. I wake up at 8 p.m. That is, thank the one in heaven for making me the biz. I am a vampire, that is what I be. Ask about me. There's a great verse in this. I wake up every day at 8 p.m. That is. 
Gotta thank the one above for making me the biz. <laughs> I mean, it's just a tight record. Vampirisms or not, I think that all that just adds on to what would have been a great song. I think Cousin Feek's tape is really solid. It kind of has him bouncing around a lot of rap styles and doing so quite comfortably. I don't think anybody really paid attention to it when it dropped, but they should. We've talked about uh, the Los Angeles-based crew Odd Future uh, on the show before, Andrew. Um, And this last record is from a a sort of distant relative of the group. Um, Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, It's by an artist named Pyramid Vritra. He was kind of part of the whole scene of dudes who were really into the Neptunes and met on a message board, which is kind of the origin point of Odd Future, basically, that nobody ever talks about. His approach is a little more insular and not quite as in your face. He's kind of, dare I say it, more of a nerd rapper than a lot of the other guys in the crew, but he's very talented. He produces all the beats himself, and it's just a tight record. I don't know. This song is called Blue Diamonds. Mm. Mm. Blue diamond shining, blind and basic shit. Lose her mind, her boyfriend copy mine like Simon. Cut the chase, get ass, exchange faces. Dead government officials printed on tree shards. Speaking shit, top of the leotard. Licking split, it can slip, nothing dip, cease communication. Slag, I hate rapping, distraction from gun capping. Ripping that soul, slapping, get this money, man. Crap the opinion, up and off spot of left with everything, including your wife. Told the police that she was wedding rang, it's regular. Took the dip shopping, dish the the dressing room, get else college rates gave me beer on her break in the break room. That's the lab for preparation. Cut it, break it down, and ship it out with all my mates. Bombs all about that cake, probably babe sleeping down the street. Ice cream, paint, the up job with your daughter on my body. It's an interesting mix, this aesthetic between sort of traditional street aesthetics, skateboarding aesthetics, and nerdiness that I think is a really interesting and under-considered movement in the world of hip-hop I mean, that definitely has its roots with the Neptunes. I mean, they're, they're, a com- they're, they're guys that named their company Star Trek Entertainment. Yeah, I mean, the Neptunes were like a coming-out party for nerds, you know, especially from a musical perspective, too, where they were actually into, like, learning things about chords and stuff and not just <laughs> being like, yo, I got beats, son. But... I think if you were 12, 13 years old, like a lot of these kids were at the time, it must have just blown your mind. Nas's rap recommendations for us this week. I'm a Vampire by Cousin Feek, featuring Droopy, and Blue Diamonds by Pyramid Vritra. You can find Andrew Nas's writing online at cocaineblunts.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Bullseye. Do you know that something is wrong feeling? Not the big one, like the my house is on fire one, the little one. The one that's just over your shoulder or just out of your field of vision when something's just off kilter but driving you completely nuts. Like when you're at the stove deep frying something and you're scared it's going to bubble over and maybe start a huge fire and then someone stands really close to your back where you can't see them but you think maybe they're going to bump into you. Or when the shutter clicks at the wrong second and your eyes are half closed in a photograph. Or when you're at karaoke but you're not drunk. My guests Tim and Eric have spent the better part of the last 10 years creating that sickening feeling on their television shows Tom Goes to the Mayor and Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Great job. For the sake of comedy, that is. 
No jump cut is too awkward. No production value too low. No bronzer too orange. Surrounded by enthusiastic and eccentric amateurs, they satirize the crassness of American culture with sketch comedy that is like a crazy neon fever dream made up of half-remembered VHS cassettes from a cardboard box someone found at a Goodwill. Their new feature film, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, is the story of how they went to Hollywood, blew a billion-dollar film budget mostly on diamonds, uh, partly on a Johnny Depp impersonator, and are forced to rehabilitate a rundown mall in the hopes of paying off the 10-figure debt. In this clip from the movie, they advertise their newly reopened version of the mall. Come on down to the grand reopening of the Swallow Valley Mall. I'll be there. My best friend Tim Heidecker will be there. You're going to like what you see. Ooh, you're going to like the fake trees. Ooh, you're going to like all our new stores. Ooh, you're going to like meeting my new son, Jeffrey. Come on down to the grand reopening of the Swallow Valley Mall. My dad told me this is the coolest mall ever. You think you know more than my dad? Don't come then. It's the grand reopening of the Swallow Valley Mall. It's just off Route 35 right here in historic Swallow Valley. Tim, Eric, welcome back uh, to Bullseye. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Appreciate you reading that thing we wrote for you. <laughs> it's beautiful. I, when someone say, when well someone, read. When someone takes the time. Yeah, we to, thought we thought you'd be a little bit more natural and you know put put it in like your a own voice, more jocular. It just really sounded like we wrote it and forced you to do it. I'm sorry. I it's all right. I was I was doing my best. Right. Um, I I want to ask you guys about um what you send each other uh, to inspire yourselves uh, for making this show. There is so much of that kind of, um, there's so much of that kind of low rent infomercial um, industrial film aesthetic uh, that pervades your work. And I wonder if, if you guys are just, you know, sending each other something every day that says, look at this weird cut. Look at this weird guy. You know, there's so much that's been on the internet and so much that has been curated. Like everything is terrible DVDs or TV carnage. I think Tim and I have seen everything. So now (laughs) I'm thinking what I just sent Tim. The last video I think was literally a a video of gorillas walking down a path and hanging out with a photographer. It was what your mom would send. (laughs) Yeah. And it was literally something that Eric's mom sent to him. And he said, I hate to do this, but this is actually pretty good. This is actually pretty sweet. Seriously. The only, it was not funny at all. It was very sweet. That's what's happened. We have, it's so post internet. (laughs) We are so post internet that we just sent gorilla videos. Now it's, I mean, are you, are you like just exhausted by living in that world of, shooting things on digital and then running through the, running them through a VCR. I so wish they I look could crappy. say we were, I mean, right now we're shoot. We're, we're I don't wish I, sh- I don't wish that it's not something I wish, but <laughs> you'd think that would be the case. But right now we're doing the, um, editing this second season of, uh, the Dr. Steve Brule show. And it's, it, it has not gotten old to me. And part of it is because of the performances and the, the, not just the way it looks, but the only thing that, about the way that it looks and the way we handle it, is it just sets it in a mold that that makes the com- that strengthens the comedy that's not what's funny about it that's just what makes it uh special you know the the funny is still always going to be the performances or the jokes or the ideas let's talk for a second about uh Dr. Steve Brule describe to me who he is for folks who haven't seen him on TV 
Dr. Steve Brule is a doctor, and he has his own cable access show that he makes with one other man named Denny, who <laughs> pretty much shoots films, and they edit this together, and he comes up with ideas. You know, He really dives in on different subjects and kind of analyzes them and puts his spin on it. Let's hear a little bit of uh, John C. Riley as uh, Dr. Steve Brule. Hi, welcome back to Check It Out. Today's show is going to be about things that are scary, things that make you scared. And being scared is one of the worst things for your health. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Check it out! He, he sort of started out as this, as a, as a take on, there was a, I know growing up in the Bay Area, there was a green grocer mm-hmm. that appeared on, on local TV news, I think on KRON Channel 4, yeah. who told you what fruit was in season. Yeah. Right. And he would always like, you know, like throw an apple up in the air and be like, Granny Smith is in season. And he'd like eat the Granny Smith and he'd be like, back to you guys. You know, we always talk about this uh, in the history of Dr. Steve Brule on the show is in, in sort of the same way that Homer Simpson on The Simpsons kind of started out this one way and sort of ended up, you know, eventually found his voice and and who he is. If you watch the first couple of Steve Brules, he's a fairly together, somewhat normal kind of guy. And uh, as we kept doing bits with him, he, he got like... He got dumber and weirder and, and <laughs> fog, foggier, you know. Yeah. And now to the point where the, his his performance on in the in Check It Out is he, he's really, really, really either you know <laughs> brain drying out or on on lots of pills. Or it's, yeah, it's he's also surprising. he's also so full of himself this season. Like he he'll ask you a question, but he'll instantly <laughs> like, I know like he knows the answer. He's an expert on everything, and he's really reached a new level of that this season. One of the things that I love about uh, Dr. Steve Brule, uh, both on your sketch show and on uh, his show, is that John C. Riley as an actor, has such an inherent sweetness. He is such, he just radiates sweetness. Right. That there is almost nothing that he can say or do that doesn't lead to you wanting to give him a hug. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's a big old bear. Yeah, and and so he can really, really do anything on screen. Yeah, we had a couple of situations this season where he says, like, Ching Chong China. And <laughs> we're like, well, that's pretty racist. But, you know, when you see him say that, you're like, oh, he doesn't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know. chi- It's like a, ch- a child. He... he we introduced a new thing where he curses a lot in the, in this season, but it's the kind of cursing that a child would do when they don't understand the the, the meaning of the words, uh, and it's endearing and sweet. Okay, here's a clip with John C. Riley as Steve Brule interviewing the comedian Maria Bamford as a beauty consultant, and our our audience should know that towards the end of this clip, uh, Doctor Steve Brule attempts to very awkwardly kiss her. Cynthia, how do I can tell if I'm ugly or handsome? What this computer does is scientifically determine whether you are handsome or ugly. This little number. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like an Easter basket. <laughs> but it's not. It's not an Easter basket. You could hide a chocolate egg in there. I don't know how you could get prettier. Uh, no. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
he, I feel like he, as an actor, disappears behind the glasses and suit and hair of Steve Brule. Like I stop, I forget that it's John C. Riley. Often yeah, when amazing. we're watching it, he, he's just he turns that switch on and he's gone. And even when he's interviewing people, they'll sit down and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm a big fan of you, John C. Riley." And about a minute into doing the interview, when he's in his character, the person forgets that he's dealing with an actor and they're dealing with this weird, weird man. <laughs> and, and it's just an impressive performance to get that, the other person, you know, the real person to forget that. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim. Uh, they're the stars and creators of the Cartoon Network series. Tim and Eric, awesome show. Great job. In its sketches, awesome show, great job often includes eccentric performers who aren't exactly professional actors or Sometimes they are professional actors, just not very successful ones. One of them is the outsider artist, musician, and ventriloquist, David Liebehart. Here he is on the show. And just understand that it's okay if this clip doesn't totally make sense to you. If you're watching it in the context of the show, it also doesn't really totally make sense. Hi, kids. Uh, you need to stay focused and stay in school. And, and I made a song about it. How does a song go? Well, let's, let's learn it together. Stay in school and stay focused. Let the truth be your own focus. Then by getting the education, you'll be your own hostess. Your turn. Learning knowledge is power. Then you'll grow like a beautiful flower. I actually did jury duty with David Liebehart. Um, and, uh, I, I had a chat with him and, um, he seems, he seems like a really, uh, sweet, decent, and very authentic guy. Um, and, uh, putting a guy like that on television is, um, it is a minefield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, David first came on our show, we had seen him on cable access and, uh, he's just obviously this incredibly unique, eccentric character and that and we when we were coming up with the idea for the sketch show you know one of our rules in the beginning was we didn't want to rely on on actors and sketch sketch performers to really build the world of the show there's something kind of jolting about the fact that the things are so real that the people and the yeah. yeah i mean it's we're not the first people to do it i mean you know larry bud melman on letterman is a great example of that of, of, you know, using real people from the world and let them do what they do and let the audience decide if that's funny or not. You know? Some of the best compliments about our work is when people are confused and are like, who, who is that guy? Is he real? Is he not? Did you give him those lines? Like there's a mystery about our work, which is the combination of using those kind of people. And that's, you know, it's as a viewer, I would, you know, it's much more fun and more engaging if you don't if you're not handed this comedy and and a sound uh, laugh track and all that kind of stuff. I think what what happened with with people like David and some of the other people that ended up appearing a lot more, they did sort of become the cast of the show. These regulars that um, you know we couldn't keep them away with a you know with a stick. They wanted to be so a part of the show and wanted to own it in their own way. Yeah. And these are all people, by the way, that are are very actively uh, trying to 
get into show business and want to be in show business and their, their dream in life is to be in show business. Now, we, let's be honest, there's no other place that, that they're going to be in show business unless they end up in the first round of some of those horrible, exploitive, you know, who's got talent type shows where they're basically publicly laughed at and thrown out for being too eccentric or too weird. So uh, we've always tried to, you know, respect them on the level of who they are as, and although they're really strange and weird and, you know, so, but so are we, and we don't try, we, we never sort of stand on a pedestal and say, look how cool I am and look how, how weird you are. It's always to, to, you know, to serve the environment of the show. Now, on the other hand, you are, I mean, you're choosing the grotesquerie of yourself, like you're painting True. on right. the orange face oh, and yeah. putting on the weird. I mean, there is um, uh, Eric. You wear a uh, like a four inch soul patch in the movie oh, yeah. <laughs> that is just grotesque. It's also pierced with a diamond <laughs> in the lower part of the goatee. So, like you, you are obviously that's something that you are enacting. Sure. Um, whereas these people are authentically weirdos. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I would think I would think eighty percent of them aren't authentic, eccentric weirdos. I think eighty percent of the people are just actors, actresses, people that want to be in the business. Eric and I see them in a slightly different light than some casting agent at you know Paramount would. But I wouldn't say that they're you know I think David you know David and James are sort of unique in that they are truly eccentric. Uh, you know, not connected to reality the same way we all are, uh, some of us are. But uh, most of the people we work with, I would say, are just actors that may not be, um, you know, they might have posted a headshot. We always say they posted a headshot six years ago on some L.A. casting site and then moved on and did something else. And then we found it and uh, brought him in. You ever wonder who God's favorite artist is? Hear all of God's favorite things, as told by comedy writer David Jabberbaum. Plus more with Tim and Eric after a break. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio International. Hello there, my name's Graham Clark. And I'm Dave Shumka. And together we host a podcast called Stop Podcasting Yourself. This is a file that you download from the internet and then you listen to it in your pod. What's that about, you ask? Well, who are you to ask? Who do you yeah. think you are? Yeah, get lost, bozo. <laughs> We're a couple of stand-up comedians in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and every week we bring a guest on the show. Sometimes they're Canadian, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're a ghost. It's like you're sitting in on a friendly... Uh, afternoon chat. Plus, we're Canadian, so uh, you get a tax break. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes or online at MaximumFun.org. Huh? Ooh, spell. You can follow Bullseye on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and click like. Production of Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is supported in part by the menswear blog Put This On. Presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. More information at putthison.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. 
My guests are Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim, the stars and creators of Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. Their new movie is called Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. Hey guys, uh, one quick note. One section of this interview with Tim and Eric got really dirty, like dirty enough to be illegal to play on the radio. So um, you can catch that section as part of the extended version of this segment online at MaximumFun.org. You guys did this promotional campaign for uh, Shrek 3. Was it Shrek 3? Shrek the third. Uh, the wait is over. Shrek yeah. 2. The wait, Shrek, yeah, Shrek 3 it was. Shrek, Shrek 3. three um, that I, I thought was a really great, uh, a really great example of uh, what you guys do so well. Thank you. Um, and I just, I, I, I just couldn't have enjoyed it more. And well, why don't we take a listen to one of the viral vids, the hot viral <laughs> vids that you guys made in support of Shrek 3. <laughs> That's right. Shrek 3 is coming out May 18th, and we couldn't be more excited. You know, gather up all your friends, go to your local theater, and check out this wonderful movie. They're all back. You got Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, Eddie yes, Murphy, Murphy, even Justin Timberlake's in the new one. You know what? Go on the internet, post a bulletin, go to the message boards, tell your friends about Shrek 3. Oh, and check out our MySpace page, because we've redesigned it to look awesome. It looks like Shrek. It's really cool. And don't forget, the movie's coming out May 18th. Everyone go out and check it out. Shrek Three is, uh, I mean, it's on on DVD right now. I believe you can get it on DVD. Yeah, this is like Blu-ray. a twelve billion dollar movie. <laughs> How did you feel about Shrek Three when you decided to start campaigning well, on behalf of it? I think to it? put in the context of the time when we made it, when 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 that we we made those videos the week or two, like a month before that movie was coming out, or maybe three weeks or something, but. If you were driving around L.A. during those three weeks, every freaking bus stop and billboard and TV commercial was promoting this movie. So it's just like you're just getting bombarded with these advertisements for that movie. And I, I remember going into work and seeing Eric and saying we should put a little bill banner on our website for Shrek, just like a little thing, just as like a <laughs> joke, like we're, we sold advertising to Shrek. And Eric said, well, let's make a little video for, you know, it kind of one thing led to another. And we realized how fun it was to make those videos. Um, we got obsessed with it. Actually. Got, <laughs> if it happened in a very strange week where there like wasn't a lot going on for us or, you know, we were waiting to hear back about something or there. And we had a our, our guy we work with, Ben Berman, was kind of just around and, you know, he was shooting us and editing it that day and putting it out. You know, and it was like that fun thing of making it that morning, editing it, putting it up online. Um, and just seeing how far we could go with it. There's something about um, there's something about making something uh, that's like wrong and gross uh, as a response to just everything being so overwhelmingly slick and smooth and right. Yeah, yeah. We we just we we have to always check in on ourselves with that to make sure we're not losing that. We just shot a, a little promotional thing for our movie, and Eric and I both had these big. At the, it was a couple of days ago. We both had these giant zits on our forehead, like they were big, <laughs> and they're in the same Massive. place. They're in the same place in our forehead, and you know we we're, we we have our moments of vanity, you know, and we're like, maybe we should just wait till Monday to shoot this thing, you know, let our zits heal a little bit, and then we like, come on, what are we doing? Let's let's use it. Let's use these zits as part of the the video, and so we. We talked about them and made this made the whole video about how you know we're the Zit Twins and you can go to ZitTwins.com. <laughs> so yeah, it was good to never forget. That's what that's what's really funny is making yourself look like an idiot. 
you, one of the things that you guys are uh, constantly doing is um, leaving shots on for too long, um, cutting at the wrong time, uh, freeze framing when people's mouths are open or eyes are half closed. Right. Um, do you do you sit in with your editor and that like editor scroll bar? Just like constantly scroll four frames too far, four frames too early. Well, you know we are we're watching the new rules coming in right now, and one trick that the editors have been doing is every time there's a freeze frame of a person, their eyes are fully closed. <laughs> and yesterday we were looking at a cut, and the guy's eyes were open, and Tim's like, "Why is that guy's eyes open? Like they all have to be closed this season." Like you know, those guys bring a lot of humor by finding that exact moment and just kind of exploiting it and looping it and keeping it there too long. And I was kind of, this might not be true, but I was thinking that, you know, we never have a laugh track on any of our things. There's ne- unless we're doing it as a joke. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, the, for, for a lot of reasons, but I wonder if some of those editing styles is sort of like a surrogate for a laugh track in a way that like, Without there being traditional punchlines, or there's not there's not really like traditional um, jo- endings to jokes. A lot of the times, sometimes when you do like freeze frame, or you do when things go on too long, it, it sort of like psychologically tells you that 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 was what you just saw was funny or <laughs> was supposed to be funny. Or you know, this started back in Tom Goes to Mayor, our first cartoon, which was literally just funny inappropriate shots of our faces and while we're having conversations you would cut to a reaction shot and some guys eyes would be half masked and that would just get laughs the movie is um is uh is traditionally narrative it is not kentucky fried movie no um it's not the mr show movie um which was you know sort of half and half Right. Um, it is a it is a narrative film. I mean, there are there are little sketch elements here and yeah. there, um, but it is basically a narrative film. Um, why did you choose to make it that way? I think we learned from history. You know, we learned that, that <laughs> those movies don't work sketch out. Comedy you know, those don't, and I don't like those movies. You know, I, like I like sketch shows, but I don't really like sketch movies. Um, and you know, we just thought, you know, let's try to make, tell a story, and in the story. You know, try to tell as, as many jokes as we can, you know? Yeah, we made a, uh, a couple short films for Funnier Die Presents on HBO. One was the Terry's, one was a thing called Father and Son. And they were just little short 15-minute tales of Tim and I doing something or another and sort of turned us on to the idea of expanding that. One of the things about having such an intense aesthetic sense and, like, such an intensely defined set of aesthetic values is that um, basically you have spent your 10-year-plus careers refining that to the point to like this super razor edge that people could not be more passionate about. I mean, your fans would, you know, knife fight somebody for you. <laughs> Except they're all too nice. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're sweet. Um, but... Uh, then sort of the question is like, well, what if you want to like be in somebody else's movie or um, try and do a new other different thing? Um, is that kind of a scary prospect to you guys? The idea of trying to do a whole other different kind of thing, like act in a movie uh, that's not yours or um, uh, just be something other than 
Well, I, you know, I think first off, our, you know, our fans would are going to be along for the ride. They're going to, you know, they like an animated show and then a sketch show and then a movie and short films. But, you know, we make this stuff for us still to this day. This movie is like just to make Tim and I laugh, you know. And yeah, I mean, the day we start making stuff with a fear or a concern of what our audience is going to think is sort of the day we you know, submit to their whims. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we can, we should never should always be challenging ourselves and our audience to, to go different places with us. Are you scared to do it? I mean, not scared of how your fans are going to react to it. There's a feeling of when we stop making the awesome show of like, Oh, that's like a, a comfortable part of our lives. That's gone. You know, it's, it's, it was comfortable to make the awesome show. We knew how to do it. We loved doing it. And the moment we were like, well, this is sort of repeating. We try to kill off any popular characters right away. And sometimes they came back from the dead. But, um, <laughs> you know, it is, it is sort of scary. Doing the movie was kind of scary. You know, it's something we've never done before. It was a really big, monstrous project. But Are you done with the awesome show? Is it is it over? Yeah, I mean, it is. we had to stop making it to make the movie. And uh, we felt like we had made you know 50 episodes of of a show that we love every minute of every second of and wanted to uh try something else and make another another kind of show and keep growing and uh so yeah it's it's over i mean i think we'll still do stuff with adult swim and there'll be other probably shows that come up that are from the awesome show family that can can work and you know, but the, the, I think it got to a point where the idea of Tim and Eric, uh, Eric and I standing and saying, "Welcome to our show. Here's this little adventure we're going to go on." You know, it started to feel it started to feel like if we kept doing it, it would become a little disingenuous and would wouldn't be coming from the heart as much. So we stopped. It's like Breaking Bad: five seasons and you're out. Right, and this is sort of the Breaking Bad of comedy. This is right? Breaking Bad's the best TV show ever made. Awesome show is the best nightmare ever had. <laughs> Tim, Eric, thank you so much for being on Bullseye. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie is available on demand now and in limited release in theaters in March. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Did you know that God actually wrote a memoir? Well, I mean, it's one of those as-told-to type things. He dictated it to the Emmy Award-winning comedy writer David Javerbaum. Here's a section. It's called God's Effusions on His Favorite Things. Effusions on My Favorite Things. Favorite ice cream, butter pecan. Favorite color, infrared. Favorite drink, Grey Goose Extra Spicy Bloody Mary. I mean that not mirthfully. I love a good Bloody Mary. It is what primordial soup would have tasted like had it existed. Favorite animal, dog. Full credit to humanity on this one. It was ingenious of you to breed so many different varieties. 
For though I did make them as companions, at the time of Noah there were only two kinds, cocker spaniels and sphinx hounds, which had the heads of dogs but the bodies of lions and were sixty-five feet high. That thou wert able in but six generations to breed them down to Chihuahua speaks volumes to thy talents and animal husbandry. Favorite flowers, daffodils and lilacs. Yea, I am confident enough in my godhood to say that. Favorite plant, Venus flytrap. Fifty billion insects have died in them, and not a single one saw it coming. Favorite continent, Antarctica. And evidently it is thine also, as thou keepest importing more and more of it to thy shores. Favorite book, ancient, the Odyssey. Those gods got to do so many awesome things, and they never even existed. <sighs> Myth is wasted on the mythic. Favorite book, modern, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. Lo, I just finished reading it a year ago, and I think I'm starting to get it. Favorite director, Alfred Hitchcock. His movies always keep me in suspense, which is not easy. Favorite artist, Jackson Pollock, because I am in on the dirty little secret of his success. He was not an abstract impressionist. He was trying to paint landscapes the whole time. He was a terrible, terrible painter. Favorite music? These days I listen to goodly quantities of non-denominational middle-of-the-road pop. But I like all kinds of good vibrations, in any frequency, from radio waves to gamma rays. Favorite band? The Beatles. No discussion. Favorite rapper? Young Jeezy. For if my son was in hip-hop, that would be his name. Favorite folk music? None. The folk music of all nations and people throughout all time is unlistenable. Favorite hymn? A mighty fortress is our God. Yay. Yay, I am. A section from The Last Testament, a memoir by God with David Javerbaum. It's available now. David Javerbaum is a former writer and executive producer for The Daily Show, and he's also behind the Twitter account at the Tweet of God. Our voice of God is comedian Seth Morris. He's on Twitter at Seth is Morris. Have you ever thought about how heavy water is? Like if there's a bunch of it? I mean, really thought about it? And then gone into an underwater tunnel? And freaked out? I'll get paranoid with cartoonist Roz Chast after a break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio International. Hi, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Travis McElroy. I'm Griffin McElroy. We're three brothers. It's not a coincidence. We have a show. It's called My Brother, My Brother Me. It's an advice show for the modern era. Uh, sometimes we also take questions from the Yahoo Answer Service. Hey, guys, how many push-ups does it take to look like a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fine question, Griffin. We'll answer that one and so much more, including questions from readers about love and navigating the waters of society. Subscribe on iTunes or get it online at MaximumFun.org. We're brothers. We're experts. And we're sorry. Bullseye's on Twitter. Follow us at Twitter.com slash Bullseye. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. For many, many years, Ross Chast has been one of the New Yorker's most beloved cartoonists. Her slightly cockeyed, leering, nervous characters have looked out at us from single and multi-panel cartoons 
often detailing what they are uncomfortable about. And her new book, What I Hate from A to Z, is essentially the book form of that. It is an A to Z compendium of things that make Roz Chast worried, uncomfortable, uh, nervous, and otherwise discomfited. Um, Roz Chast, it is great to have you back on the show. Uh, how are you doing? I, I hope things are uh, comfortable for you there uh, in New York City. Um, everything was fine. I'm a little bit worried about the electricity with these headphones and the clicking and, that, you know... <laughs> I'm just going to kind of tune that out right now. I, I think it'll be okay. Something that had never occurred to me to be uncomfortable or worried about that came up, I think maybe even more than once in this book, is the weight of water. Like the weight of large bodies of water, especially with regard to tunnels and uh, rooftop swimming pools. I can't believe you never thought about that. I, I, mean, I have been through, I grew up in San Francisco. I have been through the, the Trans Bay tube, the, the, the thing that connects the subway from San Francisco to Oakland, hundreds upon hundreds of times in my life. And it never occurred to me how heavy that water must be. Well, now I'm glad that you're thinking about it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, sorry to sort of like spoil that for you. But think about like, you know, when you have a bucket of water, how heavy it is. And then think about rooftop swimming pools. I mean, I know that they're constructed in it's, – it's like, you know, going on an airplane and you know logically that these things must work. But there's huge – a huge element of trust that goes into that. And uh, I don't know. I think you have to, like, blank out a lot of things. <laughs> I didn't like you also reminding me – uh, about the number of things that were made before there were computers. <laughs> <laughs> because even like the Transbay tube, I guess, was probably built in the mid-60s. And it occurred to me, oh, man, they built that thing with like with like the equivalent of, of you know, wristwatches and slide rules. Yeah, it's like paper mache, basically. Oh, geez, Louise. Okay, so... Here's here's the real question, Roz. This is a book of 26 um, concerns, one for... Le it's actually many more than 26 concerns because there are many letters of the alphabet where you list in the text all of the other alternative options you could have gone with but decided not to go with. Um, do you feel better about things that bother you when you name them or do you feel worse about them when you dwell upon them? I think I feel better when I name them. I actually do because, uh, I, well, actually, I don't really know why, but I do feel better when they have a name and when they're just, the worst is just that feeling of sort of unspecific dread and, uh, you know, which happens. But it's, so it's better to sometimes know the thing that is, is troubling you, I think. There's a picture in the book uh, for the letter B, and, and your thing that you hate for the letter B is balloons. Yes. And you write in the balloons thing, when I look at a balloon, all I see is an imminent explosion. Where's the fun in that? Um, which, number one, I mean, that is amazing to me that you managed to bring that level of scorn to balloons. 
I, you um, like balloons, I take it. I, everyone else in the world besides you likes balloons, I That's think. That's not true. That's not, I've met other people who have like sort of sidled up to me and said, you know, I really hate balloon, balloons too. And they have to sort of, and the worst thing about balloons is they're such a symbol of fun that you sort of, when you're around balloons, you have to pretend that you're really excited. Do you draw when you feel uncomfortable? I always feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I and I draw a lot, so I suppose if I were going to make a Venn diagram, it, there'd be a lot of overlap. You know, drawing, feeling uncomfortable, there'd be a wide area of overlap. Where do you feel most comfortable? Where do I feel most? Probably asleep, curled up in like a fetal position. Well, except that nightmares is one of the things that you hate. Yeah, it's true. It's true, but I, it's. Uh, at least you're asleep. Was your family an anxious family? Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, my father was a he. He was a chain anxietyer. Like he, <laughs> he, he would finish with one anxiety, and as soon as he finished with that anxiety, he would like immediately pick up another one. And he, it was just incredible. And my mother was also very, very anxious, but she sort of. Her uh, her manner about it was uh, there's nothing to be afraid of, but she was the one who would you know tell you about diphtheria and you know all the diseases and you know her her best friend who like sat on the ground because that was one thing I was not allowed to do when I was a kid. You couldn't sit directly on the ground because you could get kidney disease and die like her friend. So wait, what? <laughs> I know, I know. You couldn't sit directly on the ground. Was like her friend? Is was she saying that the problem was that her friend was a hobo or street bum? <laughs> no, who sat went- <laughs> on the ground and drank herself to death? <laughs> no, she was a kid, and she went to. This is a crazy story that she went to Girl Scout camp, and when she went to Girl Scout camp, they sat on the ground. And somehow she caught <laughs> now that I think about it, it really does sound sort of insane. She <laughs> I guess she caught a cold like through her backside or something. <laughs> <laughs> Up her butt. <laughs> and she got kidney disease and she died. <laughs> it went in her butt and killed her. I never really, like, realized, well, because I always heard she sat on the ground and she got kidney disease. And now I'm thinking, like, well, wait a minute. Like, I guess it, like, went through her butt or something. <laughs> I, know, I really don't know. But, yeah, she went, to, she went to Girl Scout camp and she sat on the ground and, uh, and then she died. <laughs> so those, that's the, that was uh, – my mother didn't act like she was an anxious person, but she had many, many stories like this. I guess my question is that as someone who came up in a world of, you know, terrible things that can happen to you, you chose a career of just astonishing instability. Um, I mean, I just can't imagine a less stable, comfortable career than gag cartoonist, freelance gag cartoonist. Um, and I, I wonder if, like, what it was that that led you to overcome your natural, um, natural discomfort with things 
to do this thing that is so naturally discomforting? Um, well, I, I really couldn't do anything else. I mean, uh, the only thing I ever did that I felt like I could even do like a little bit was draw, and things came out a little bit funny, even when I didn't really want them to necessarily. Uh, but, you know, and there's other much less. I mean, I think about poet. I mean, I think that's even worse as far as, you know, stability goes. It's, you know, mama, going to be a poet. It's like, oh, my God. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is cartoonist Roz Chast. If you've read The New Yorker, you've probably seen her work. Her book is called What I Hate, A to Z. Its full-page cartoons detail the many day-to-day things that make Roz Chast uncomfortable. There has to be some things in our life because of, because our minds are limited that we engage in some things that we let go. Um, and it's interesting to me that one of the things that you do to deal with the things that you're very reasonably afraid of. I mean, I don't think any of your fears, I mean, your fears are unreasonable in the sense that they're like unlikely to happen, but they're not unreasonable in the sense that they're not actually possible. Um, That one of the things that you can do to decide that it's okay to put down a fear Mm -hmm. is to make a picture of it and put it in a list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, yeah, I like lists and I like, uh, there's something kind of funny about some of it too. I don't really always know why, but it is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think having uncles that, make up weird stories or even, you know, some of the stories that my mother would tell about, you know, her friends who got diseases from sitting on the ground or, I don't know. I mean, she would tell me stories of her childhood and having diphtheria and a web growing across her throat. And there's something, well, like even when we were talking about, you know, the lady who like sat on the kid who sat on the ground and you know, caught a cold through her butt or whatever. I mean, there's something kind of funny about it. It's awful. But, um, you know, my parents knew somebody who was killed by a flower pot. I mean, it's just, he, they really did. I mean, he was walking in New York and a flower pot fell off a shelf and, you know, a windowsill and killed him. And it's it's terrifying, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be horrible if it happened to you know, me. (laughs) 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 And it probably will now that I'm laughing at it. Um, But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to just uh, make myself stop thinking about it. It's interesting. Well, Roz, it's really been a a joy to have you back on the show. Um, and, And your book's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Roz Chast's great new book is What I Hate from A to Z. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Every week at the end of the show, I suggest one thing that's worth your time. It's the outshot. In America, you get food to eat. Won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet. It takes some serious guts for a white seer songwriter to write a hymn extolling 
The Pleasures of Slavery. But that's just what the Randy Newman song Sail Away is. One day, Newman heard the story of Amazing Grace. It turns out it was written by a slaver who became an abolitionist. It's kind of a beautiful story. Randy Newman, though, heard that, and then he wondered what it might have sounded like without the redemption. And he wrote a beautiful, moving song. A beautiful, moving song from the cruel, twisted perspective of a man who was actually pitching the virtues of slavery. Sail away. Sail away. We will cross the mighty ocean in the Charleston Bay. Sail away. On the surface, it's beautiful, and underneath, it's funny and kind of sickening. And when you hear it, it forces you to remember that the character arcs of most 18th century Americans were not redemptive. Things, to be frank, were pretty screwed up. A lot of folks think of Randy Newman as the guy who wrote the theme to The Natural. Or, you know, who, who writes the sweet songs that run at the end of Pixar films. Got a in me. He plays You've Got a Friend in Me at his shows. And then when he's done, he sighs and he says... Of course, it's all a load of bull**t, isn't it? The LP Sail Away, which has the song Sail Away on it, is the perfect example of the breadth and the grace of Newman's art as a songwriter. There's the gleeful political science in which Newman lays out his beautifully nuanced foreign policy ideas. It's a fit of rhetorical irony that may not have been matched since. Europe's too old, Africa's far too hot, and Canada's too cold. South America stole our name. Let's drop the big one, there'll be no one left to blame us. Not all the songs are jokes, though. There's one called He Gives Us All His Love. It's a hymn that is so plain and non ironic, it almost seems like it might be a trick. But I don't think it is. Now if you need someone to talk to You can always talk to him and if you Newman was a songwriter before he was a recording artist and he almost always writes in character. But the character almost always reveals Newman. His songs convince you that the confessional isn't the only form of authenticity in songwriting. I love Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear, another song from Sail Away, which was a big hit in the UK for an act called the Alan Price set before Newman recorded it himself. There's something about the way that Newman teases out the cruelty of show business in the second verse. It leaves me awed every time. Seeing that the nicest places were where fit faces are stopped to stare. Making the grandest entrance of Simon Smith in his dancing bell, they'll love us, won't they? They feed us, don't they? Oh, who would think a boy in bear could be well except everywhere? It's just amazing how fair people can be. When he writes a film score, 
or a Pixar song. Randy Newman draws on this deep emotional reservoir. And he makes something gentle and plain and often beautiful. I think the great mistake, though, would be to think that when he writes as a character or with irony, that his work is somehow any less sincere. Irony, after all, is a way of revealing the truth. And there's a lot of truth in Randy Newman's Sail Away. After all, if God hands you a river that's on fire, like the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland, how can you write anything but a beautiful love song about that terrifying, horrifying, mind-bending irony? There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake That's my outshot. There's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake There's an oil barge winding down the Cuyahoga River Rolling into Cleveland to the lake That's it for Bullseye this week. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Nick White is our editor. Our intern is Colin Walzak. Special thanks this week to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios for engineering the New York side of our Roz Chast interview. Our theme music is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, on Twitter, Bullseye or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign up. I'm Jesse Thorne. Production. Support for this program comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI Public Radio International.